Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. Talking about life together. If your Bibles are open, they are open to Philippians chapter 3, but actually from Luke chapter 5, I want to start with a little bit of a story. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ had just launched his ministry. He was doing some healings. He was doing some preaching. And according to Luke, he was approached by a massive crowd of people around the Sea of Galilee. And listen to what happened while he was there. It's a very subtle way. A huge event happened. Luke 5, verse 2 says, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, meaning Simon Peter, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, or teacher, rabbi, we toiled all night and and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their parents in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both their boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished or amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, listen to this, they left everything and followed him. That's the story, folks. That's a picture of the Great Commission. That's how the Lord Jesus, in that little subtle story, began to execute his plan for the church, a plan of redemption for the world, a plan to establish a kingdom and advance it for the glory of God. You're saying, you get all that from a story about fishing? Really? Yeah. Because Jesus called ordinary people, like those fishermen like you and I, gave them new life and then called them to leave everything that was near and dear to those people, whatever they thought was most important to them, he called them to leave all of that to follow him for three years so they can be instructed by him, they could imitate him, they could be like him, and then help others to be like him. That's what it means to be a disciple or a student or a follower who makes other disciples by helping those disciples to multiply and make more disciples or followers of Jesus that would worship God in spirit and truth. That's the goal of the church. That's the goal of our church. And it's really, what's fascinating to me, it's so basic, it's so simple as a concept, as a mission. It's amazing to me so many people, including church leaders, misunderstand it and misapply it. And they actually try to improve it. They say it's just not maybe sophisticated enough, right? They miss the simple fact that churches are viewing, are to view discipleship as a lifestyle, and as the ordinary and primary part of what it means to be a church member, to be a Christian. It's just what we do. 
And disciples of Jesus, according to our text today, have just two things to do essentially in their life. Really. The Lord's Day before this one, we looked at the first part. The first goal of the church was Christ-likeness from Philippians 3, because it was anniversary Sunday for our church, and we want to reset here, refresh where we're at and where we need to be heading. And Paul said, the one thing that I do is to be Christ-like. And to do that, we said, you have to have a certain spiritual discontentment with who we are at the moment today in order to accomplish that goal. And then you have to have a spiritual motivation to be more like Christ tomorrow. And that motivation is getting to glory, being in glory. So we have this command. Every one of us in this command are to strive and to run and press on toward being conformed to the image of Christ in this life, in this life, as much as we can, as we move closer to the finish line of eventual perfection in Christ's likeness when he comes back and perfects us in glory, glorifies us. So from this text now, we're going to move to this second goal of the church. How do we do this? We're going to move from the theological to the practical, more from the doctrine to application. As we see the role of the church, a community of faith like this one, what role does it play in you being more Christ-like? And I'm going to argue the church's role in that, that we're all a part of, is the, is the process of discipleship. Because after all, I said the role for you, the goal of this church and its leadership, our ministry to you, is for your sanctification, for you to grow in Christ-likeness. Sanctification, same idea. And the way that's going to happen from this text is we're going to show you the right instruction and in the final verse of this text, the right imitation, all right? And we're going to show you how you can help grow or mature as a disciple that can then make, multiply, mature other disciples. So let's start with the right instruction, which we find in our text in verses 15 and 16. And I'll, I'll read that together for you. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So there's an attitude here we're supposed to have. For those that are fully grown in the faith that they're supposed to have. What is that? First off, how much of you even, how many of you here think you're fully grown in the faith? You're, you're fully mature, because that word in English, mature, really has the idea from the original Greek of a relative perfection, a great spiritual maturity that you're almost complete in your sanctification, almost. Because Paul's already told us in the prior text last time, verses 12 to 14, he hasn't yet attained perfection or perfect sanctification in this life. He said he hasn't made it his own yet, right? So I would say he's talking about believers, He's talking about disciples of Christ that are running the race. They're in the process of maturing, multiplying in the faith. And Paul's even putting himself in that category, right? The text says, those of us. He's including himself in the group, those that are mature. These are followers of Christ that we would say in our process here are Christ committed, and they're on the way growing in Christ's likeness to be Christ contagious, not contagious in the coronavirus way, but contagious in the way of their faith, Christ-likeness. All right? There are those people like that in the church, they, they hate their sin. 
They do. They strive for holiness. You'll see them evangelizing. They're doing their part to make disciples. They're discipling others. They're even serving obediently in the church. Some of these people could wind up becoming missionaries in the field, future leaders. These are the kind of people we call fast. Fast. That's your latest CCC acrostic. Write it down, live it, learn it, love it. And basically, we have small groups of men right now that are meeting in our church, and we want to make sure that they, if they're not already, they're fast. F stands for faithful. A is available. S stands for servant-minded. And T means they're teachable. They're fast. And really, everybody should be on the degree somewhere of, on that ladder of being fast. And that's a perfect acronym and really metaphor for Paul because he's talking about running the race, pressing on straining forward. So we want you all to be fast. And Paul says, these kind of people with this attitude, they're growing big time in the faith. We talked about that from 1 John when we talked about God's school of discipleship. You graduate from certain levels, certain grades. Remember, there were little children in the faith, like elementary school kids. And then there were younger men and women. Think of that as like middle school Christians. And then there were fathers, mothers of the faith, Think of high school Christians. So you always should be progressing on that ladder. Paul put it this way about maturity, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So be like a little baby in your sinning, okay? They don't do a great variety of sins, little babies. We can tell that amongst the children among us, okay? So be an infant in your sinning, in your evil, but be really mature in your thinking. So what is he been teaching here that the Lord's also going to reveal or make plain to us according to verse 15? Well, again, the prior text is the goal, the upward call, being Christ-like, pressing on, straining for that. And again, the, cult, the goal of the Christian, I want you to look at the very beginning of verse 21 here. It's the final verse in this chapter. And you see it again, Paul says, here's the finish line talking about the Lord who will transform your lowly body, our lowly body, to be like his glorious body. That's the prize. That's the payoff. That's what we're shooting for here. It's very simply put this way. Mature Christians, those that want to grow and mature, they really want to be Christ-like. So the instruction continues in verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What is it we've attained that we should hold true? And live by? Well, I would say it's the standards, the basic fundamentals of the faith in Christ that starts with obedience to Christ. And the idea in this attitude is keep on keeping on in the faith. Keep on running, keep on straining, keep on pressing forward to be holy and Christ-like. And I'm going to tell you something right now. If you don't have the heart to pursue Christ-likeness, folks, one way the Lord can reveal that to us is in difficulty, difficulties. Verse 15 is talking about that. Paul is telling us, the word of God is telling us, that loving discipline from God will, unfortunately, in some respects, get us to where we need to go. Hebrews 12 says he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. I'll give you an illustration just this week. I was not a good boy this week. <laughs> We were having and are in the midst of dealing with the dilemmas of a lot of car issues in our home. 
And uh, Justin, I got one, and I know some of you are feeling our pain because you're going through the same. It's been a wacky week, as Pastor George said, with cars in our church this week. And so lots of little things were going wrong. And I have a problem with little things that go wrong. i just let you know, just being really transparent. If it's like a massive thing like coronavirus, I got, hey, sovereignty of God, God's in control. I'm good. I don't even think about that. I don't worry about that. It doesn't bother me. But if the transmission starts to give me problems in Brianna's car, I'm freaking out. I'm losing it, okay? If I'm in the express line at Publix and the person in front of me is paying with change and they got 12 items, I'm losing it. (laughs) And all that is to say is that's sin. It really is. Not dealing well with the providences of God. It's impatience. And the Lord is letting me go through all these things this week to show me a lesson. I read, I read a lot of other preachers and pastors and they're blogging in an article and I read an article talking about being thankful in the little things. I was like, ugh. Because with all these things happening with the car, I wasn't really being thankful for the little things because it could have been so much worse. My wife was really good about that, being my second conscious. You know, it could have been worse car thing could have been destroyed completely, you know, and it was good she said that. So discipline, all that is to say, discipline can breed holiness or Christ-likeness if you don't seek it yourself. So this is the attitude we're talking about. This is the thinking. This is the right instruction we're to have in our minds and in our hearts to be mature and Christ-like. Now, how do we do it? How do we do it? Now we go from the right instruction to the right imitation. Look at the text in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul does not want to be admired here. He wants to be imitated. All people are going to imitate somebody, right? Paul wants us to be imitators of those who are imperfect but are wholeheartedly faithful and devoted to following Christ. And this is why it is really important for you and I to be Christ-like examples to other people because you're getting checked out. Everyone, by the way, is being discipled every day, whether you know it or not. We're being taught. We're being modeled in one way or another. We're being influenced in one way, shape, or form. You are either being discipled by Christ and people like Christ or by Satan, the world, the kingdom of darkness. So who's your teacher? Who's your mentor? Who's your model? And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that's a present tense in the Greek meaning. In other words, you could translate it as habitually, continually walk or live like Paul did as Christ did. Imitating. Literally in the original language means to follow an example. And then it says, you keep your eyes on, you're observing, focusing on people who are living a certain way according to the example, which means the pattern, which means the type, which means the image of someone greater. And that one greater is Jesus. And even through Paul, I want you to see something in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's he's writing him and he puts it this way. 2 Timothy 3.10, as to the detail, Paul wants to be imitated. He says, you, however, 
talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience. Oh, I need that. My love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and in Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul's telling Timothy, did you watch how I handled all that stuff? How I deal with all that stuff? John would put it this way in his first letter. We went through this, 1 John 2, 6, and basic Christianity. Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way he walked. So that means imitation. Walk as he walked. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse 17. Imitation. Back to be a disciple in the rabbinical tradition way back in biblical times, a Jew would be a student and a follower of a rabbi. They would normally choose the rabbi they wanted to follow, and they would walk so close to him on dirt roads, the dirt would kick up from the sandals of the rabbi and cloud and dirty up the follower because they were walking that close in observation, both physically and metaphorically. It's the same idea for us as disciples. We want to be like the teacher we're following. And the root of the Greek word there, imitate, so you know, it's a really interesting word. We get the word mime from, as to mimic someone. There was an English woman once she went to France to study under that famous mime artist. Remember Marcel Marceau, right? He's in the box. And you do, I don't think I, I learned that in drama class, and I think I flubbed it up. But you're supposed to, you know, do all this kind of thing. You're, you're a mime, right? So each night they would go and see him perform. And after a while, seeing him perform so much, their performances became exactly like his style. They mimicked the mime. And for us, that's a good picture of us imitating Christ by constant example, constant exposure, abiding. And so that's the reason why we have a very serious, graphic, fundamental discipleship process at our church that I'm going to put up on the screen. And many of you have taken a picture of this before and with your phones. And I do, I do recommend that you do this. And we have this on paper. We can email to you and whatnot. And, and it is the main thing. It's the main mission. It's the ministry of this church. It's the process by which we are here to help you be imitators of Christ, to be more Christ-like conform to his image, and then multiplying that in others. For instance, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, talking to church members, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. So there it is again. CCC, I'm exhorting you, get what you can, and imitate the best from us, whatever you see that is Christ-like in the leadership of this church and in men of women of this church that you see are on a mature step walk in their faith. In fact, 1 Peter 5 tells us the under-shepherds of the local church are to lead their flocks by example. And that example we said, as I proved to you in my testimony, is imperfect. Do not imitate me when I'm in the store or in certain areas like that. Don't, don't do that because we sin and make mistakes. But I believe the leaders here and the more mature men and women of this church, you can imitate in their faithfulness, devotion. They're striving. They're running. They're pressing on to Christ's likeness. That you can imitate. The attitude 
and the striving. So take the best of that. So I think that would behoove you. I really do. It would be wise to take whatever you can take from your brothers and sisters in Christ and imitate that while you may be short in certain areas. In fact, in chapter 2 of this letter, look at the characteristics that we can imitate again from others in the church. Not only Timothy, but another. Philippians 2 verse 20, Paul says this, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Are you concerned for the welfare of everybody in this room? Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He's a servant. He's a leader, a lay leader there. Verse 30, for he, Epaphroditus, nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That's worth imitating, don't you think? Worthy examples. So how does this work? If the goal of the church's leadership is to help you mature, grow in the faith, in sanctification, how should we do that? Is it just a program sometimes you hear? Come to church for five quick, easy steps to better discipleship. Or a Bible study of... Seven weeks on how to be a better disciple. Your best life is now. Nope. It's not like that. Because discipleship is a way of life inside out. So we have a process, though, that can help you. We can. There's a good, there's a better, there's a best in discipleship, like many other things we talk about in the Christian faith. In fact, look at Christian faith, chapter 4, this letter, verse 9. Paul put it this way. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Mm, that's imitation. It's a good hint. Now, how can we do this? How could Paul be like Christ? How can we be like Paul? I'll tell you what the best thing would be, as per the Luke story in the introduction, it would be great if we could live 24-7, 365 with the Lord Jesus. We will be, by the way, in glory, but that would be great if we could now, would right? And at least, oh, give me three years like the disciples. Maybe some of us think, oh, I could have done better than, than Peter and John, but give me three years of 365, 24-7 with the Lord. That would be the best way to be discipled. In our context, that's not going to happen. So what we have to do is look at what's better, good and better. I'll tell you what's good for starters. Level one, abide in Christ personally with two of the three means of grace we often talk about in our church. The means of grace, the common means of grace God has given us is the word, prayer, and the church. Why we're constantly talking to you about eating Bible, the intake of the word, hearing the voice of God. When you're praying, you're having God's ear, and then you're fellowshipping and connecting in the body, the local church. Those are the definitive three, there's more, but the three major ways, means of grace, in which God gives out grace to his people, to the church. And that can be done very Personally, it's similar to the way Jesus started when he set out in his ministry, by the way. Luke 4 tells us that when he went out into the wilderness to fast, the temptation, be confronted with Satan, it says there, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's our example to imitate. Paul's talked about it. We talked about it in our 1 John series. In 1 John 2, 
Be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Abide in Christ. It's all the same concept. All the same concept. Just feasting on those means of grace and growing in the grace, wisdom, and knowledge of our Lord. So that starts with the Word. But what is better in terms of discipleship now, corporately? Where does this fit in with the goal of the church of discipleship? Well, we need something else. 2 Timothy 2.2, great passage. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes, And from what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is a serious discipleship verse, one worth noting. So there's the process. By multiplication rather than just simple addition. Paul's discipleship process Okay, imitating Christ, we illustrated for you with Jesus calling those fishermen, including Peeper, Peep, Peeper, Peter. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. All right, oh, the deep recesses of the mind. But I want to define discipleship for you because you saw that in the picture. Discipleship means intentionally partnering with another Christian in order to help that person obey Jesus and grow in relationship with him so that he or she can then help others do the same. Did you get that? And the way we can help you and facilitate that here at Christ Community Church is with this, go back if you would, Jared, to the, the paradigm, the process of discipleship at CCC. It's triune. It's three points. We want to make, mature, and multiply disciples. That's the what. Here's the why, to be Christ-conscious, Christ-committed, Christ-contagious. How? In congregation, community, and in core. That's a pretty good flow. What do we want you to be? Christ-like. Christ-conscious means to be aware of Christ. That's when you're made to be an apostle. You've come to Christ. You're now Christ-conscious. The second step would be to be Christ-committed and then Christ-contagious. It works like this. If you have been made by God, as a disciple, you're already a disciple, right? You're born again. You're a believer. If you're maturing in Christ, you're growing in grace and sanctification, then we could say here, you're Christ committed. You're really devoted, committed to following him, observing him in all the things that the Lord has taught us. You're no longer just a milk-drinking infant Christian, right? The beginner's Bible, give me the pictures of Noah, pretty pictures, no, we're, we're, we're beyond that, all right? At least middle school Christianity. You're confident you're becoming more Christ-like all the time as you're maturing. In fact, Romans 12 would say you're not being conformed to this world, but you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not a fair-weather fan of Jesus. You're a true follower. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And when that's happening... And you're running, you're pressing on in the race to be conformed to his image. In fact, in the letter to the Colossians, Paul has very similar language. It says in Colossians verse 3, For you have died, and your life, listen, is hidden with Christ in God. In Christ, it's almost as if he's standing in front of you. Your life is hidden. You're so imitating him. You're so life transformed. People are seeing a lot of Jesus in you. And then when Christ, who is your life, appears... I love this. Here's the promise again. Here's the payoff. Then you will also appear with him in glory. There's the prize again. 
You're putting yourself, your old self to death. You're putting on, he says here in this chapter, new clothes of righteousness. What does that look like? All right, what, how do I see how I'm doing here? Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen or elect ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Is that you? Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I'm still working on that one. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, you're forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all, these put on love. That's your yardstick. That's the standard. And then in the final stage of this goal that you're seeing here, you are going to be until the Lord calls you home, you're multiplying and you're being Christ contagious. You're living and loving in such a way that you're showing and telling Christ all, the, all over the place, all the time how you're living. People are gonna wanna see what, what's that hope you have? What is that joy? Why do you talk that way? Why do you live that way? That's being Christ contagious. You want people to catch that as if it were a common cold. And you want people to ask you why you live the way you live so that you have now earned the right to tell them about Christ and the gospel. Mark's gospel says disciples proclaim the gospel all over. That's what we see on the chart here. In 2 Corinthians 5, as a new creation, Paul says we're ambassadors, representatives of Christ. And listen to this word, imploring. It practically in Greek means begging people to be reconciled to God, to make peace with God. And when you get to this point, Christ contagious, let me tell you, some of you may be called to vocational ministry, bivocationally at least, as our pastor and elders are here at this church, or you may be called to the mission field. Now finally, deeper in the how. How does the process look like? How does it begin here at CCC? Again, it's triune. Look at the bottom row. Congregation, community, and core. What does that mean? Congregation is right now. That's referring to the Lord's Day, our coming together, fellowshipping on Sunday. That's where preaching and teaching is featured in the worship of the Lord. It starts here. We pray, we sing, we teach the word. In fact, that is the process by which the church began. Acts chapter 2, after the day of Pentecost, which is the birth of the church in that very familiar passage, it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, we have all those elements in our service on Sunday. Verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's that word koinonia fellowship in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So there are your offerings that we have in church, including the benevolent offering. And day by day, listen, ooh-ah, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread where? In their homes. In their homes. They received the food with glad, and they were glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we congregate in this text, yes, beginning here on Sunday, but also, as the text said, in homes, midweek meetings, 
For us, that's Tuesday. We call them community groups or shepherd groups. And that's where Hebrews 10, 24, 25 really fits so well here, which that writer says, talking to the church, and let us consider how to stir up one another. Stir up one another means to actually provoke one another, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another or exhorting one another, word means both, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So not only is that a command in Scripture, that God's people are to do life together as much as possible, but check it out. It should be a desire. It's a want to that should be a have to. It should be a have to that becomes a want to. You want to be in this community of faith. Why? So that you can speak the word, it says, the word says, to encourage and exhort others, and you can receive that from others. You can't receive that blessing and be a blessing, and so many of you do this. You exhort and encourage people in this room. You can't do that unless you're here. And it should be. Lord willing, we should make every effort so that it's not a Sunday-only thing. I love the way the Apostle Paul, in fact, actually the Apostle John, Closed his second letter. Listen to this final greeting. 2 John 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. 2020 translation. BSV, Bernie Standard Version would say, rather than text you, or email you how I'm doing. I can't wait to come and see you and tell you face to face. There is joy in fellowship. In fact, it's one of those discipline moments. If it's a burden to you to meet with God's people, that's not good. Something's wrong. And that's where we have to seek the Lord's face on that. I know I have... Just, I look forward to Tuesdays like crazy getting together in our community groups. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm going to let the ladies in on a secret. When the men get together on Tuesday nights, I don't know if it's because it's a potluck supper fellowship, but uh, maybe that has something to do with it. But I know so many of the guys will come to me afterwards and they'll say, you know what? This is my favorite meeting. Like the favorite place to be. I don't know if they're saying that like even more than Sunday. I don't know, but they love it. They love it. You know, we're not pulling teeth to get these guys to go because they see the blessing, and they want to be a blessing to others, and that's what discipleship is about because discipleship, folks, is relational. It's interpersonal. It's about transparent relationships. Discipleship just starts on Congregation Sunday with now what I'm doing at the moment. I'm proclaiming, heralding the word, and I'm doing some teaching with preaching. That's just where it begins. It really comes alive more so relationally in small groups. That's how we help you to be more Christ-committed and Christ-contagious. Leroy Imes, who wrote a famous book on discipleship years ago, he really analyzed this well. He said this, quote, Disciples cannot be mass-produced. We cannot drop people into a program and see disciples emerge at the end of the production line. Takes time to make disciples. It takes individual, personal attention. End quote. Remember, Jesus began in the New Testament discipleship with a small group. 
He had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He had 12. They multiplied to 70, and they got to 120 and so on. His, his vision began small. I can tell you something right now, very, very true, very factually, that Jesus Christ was probably the first small church pastor in church history. Then by the Holy Spirit, through his living word, he began to build his church, as I'm said, not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. The final part of our discipleship process, meeting this goal, of the church, the right imitation, now is what we call core in that chart, and that is to get even deeper by getting even smaller. We have core groups imitating Jesus and the, and the inner circle, and we've been doing that for the last few years and seeing fruit in that. In fact, I would love to see it break out among our women in the not-too-distant future, and that's undergirded by 2 Timothy 2.2, teach faithful men who will teach others. And that biblical model, Paul showed it. 1 Corinthians 4, Galatians 4, so you know. He called us to follow his example of encouraging, exhorting, teaching. That includes loving rebuke, training and equipping fellow believers individually. I'll tell you what, some of us need individual loving, gracious, gentle rebuking. I can't do that in the message that I'm preaching to all of you at once. So in our shepherd groups is where you've seen that happen in a better, more intimate way. Again, the environment is about relationship, the process of shepherding and discipleship. That's maximized in small groups, okay? This is why Christ used this method to reach the world, folks. People like to come to me sometimes outside of the church. We tell them about things. I'm in a pastor's breakfast meeting, and they'll say, oh, whether it's the family integrated thing or this or that, and they'll say, where do you get that, those ideas from? And I'm, say, I'm not that clever. We just go to the method that are, that's in the Bible. I tell people we're going back for the future. And again, it's fairly clear what the principles are here. Too many people in a group can water down the impact of these parts, these elements of discipleship. So this is why we're going the way we are. Now, is this the only way to do it? We're not prideful or presumptuous that way, no. We talked about the fact there could be good, better, best ways. And if some of you can't make our community or core groups, I get it. You, your schedule, logistical reasons may preclude you from doing that. But if so, I'm going to now, as we get ready to close, I'm going to give you five ways outside of this building you can make and mature disciples outside of CCC because we're to do it here, there, and everywhere. Acts 1, right? Here's number one. Five ways you can make and mature disciples in and out of this church body. Number one, practice hospitality, especially with members of your church. Great example, last night some of our ladies put together a beautiful fellowship in one of our homes for a way of showing appreciation and honor to the ladies shepherd group leaders, the teachers and facilitators. It was beautiful. That was not an official, that was not a CCC thing. That was ladies from CCC wanting to shower love on other CCC ladies. That's what I'm talking about. That's what number one means. It means that you can fellowship outside of Sunday and Tuesday with those you're connecting with here in church. Number two, ask God for strategic friendships. Strategic friendships. Pray for that. That you can connect with people at school if you study, at work, 
community activities. Some of you that have smaller children in, in community activities like sports or it might be drama or whatever club or whatever, take advantage of that to get to know people that you can begin to show and tell Christ. That's how you make disciples. Number three, schedule regular fellowships with people in and out of the church. Hey, can we have breakfast? I've been known to do that, as you know, with, with so many of you. Lunch, coffee, and especially 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, find a teachable individual that'll teach others. That's a beautiful thing. And by the way, it should go without saying, it should be of the same sex. Men, if you're going to do these meetings, meet with other men, women with women. And depending on the person, you may decide to meet just once or indefinitely, periodically, a set number of times. You can set up a Bible study, go through a gospel together, BRP, it'd be great. And if you and an individual share a hobby that you know of, an activity, look to share that hobby together. Brother Tim, we'll talk about Brother Tim, he, he took me out not too long ago to go fishing. And I stink, I'm terrible. And I'm like hooking myself, and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hurting myself, I'm causing pain, flesh is coming off everywhere. It was just, it wasn't, but we just had a great time chatting, didn't we? And just there's just a bonding that takes place there, and before you know it, you're talking about spiritual things in the Lord, and guess what's happening? Discipleship. That's how it happens organically, naturally. Number four, ask people about themselves when you do meet. People love to talk about themselves if, if they're questioned about it, right? Ask questions. You can ask people about their parents. What was your family life like? Spouse, if you have one. What are your children like? How old are they? Give me your testimony if you say you have one. Tell me about your job, what you do for a living, so on. People, get, to, get people to share with you so that you're in a better position to have the opportunity to share with them. You're going to try to move conversations from the secular to the spiritual, okay? Fifth and lastly, serve and pray. Serve and pray, making disciples outside of this room. Consider the physical, material needs of people. How can I help meet your needs? That's what it means to love your neighbor and your brother as yourself, right? Can they benefit from your help? Pray with people, especially when you're connecting new with people. I just got an email from my friend who's cross countries in Southern California. I was best man at his wedding. He's an agnostic kind of a guy, he's a TV writer, and we're, and we're good friends. And he told me about a son going through difficulties. And so I just kind of used that to say, hey, can I pray for you and your son? And I know he's not a praying kind of guy at all remotely, so I even put in a line in there. I said, look, even most atheistic and agnostic doctors believe in the power of prayer. There's been research on that. And I said, you know, I believe in prayer. I believe God can use prayer. So can I do that for you? Hardly anyone is going to say, no, don't pray for me. What a terrible, hideous idea that is. No one says that. But that's a great icebreaker. You want to pray for somebody? Oh, wow, you care enough? You pray, you'll pray for me? Really? It's pretty good. So that's the goal. That's the goal of this church, Christ Community Church. Christ-likeness through discipleship. Very simple. Let's not complicate it. Let's not muddy the water. Let's not try to improve it. You know, it's Jesus is the one that told Peter in Matthew's gospel, I will build my church. I don't want to try to build a church. 
How am I going to improve on the king? Right? Let's just do what he said. We just want to make mature, multiply disciples to be Christ-conscious, Christ-committed, Christ-contagious through congregation, community, and in core groups. So I close with this. The renowned theologian John Spott, you may have heard of him from England, died a few years ago. He said this, quote, God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the purpose of God for the people of God. End quote. He understood Christ-likeness is the outgrowth of biblical discipleship and can fulfill the Great Commission even. Stott added this, quote, why is it you must have asked as I have that in many situations our evangelistic efforts are often fraught with failure? One main reason is that we don't look like the Christ we are proclaiming. Explaining his comments, Stott said this, the most effective preaching comes from those who embody the things they are saying. Christians need to look like what they are talking about. Deep down inside people, what communicates now is basically personal authenticity, end quote. He's channeling Paul there, Philippians 3. Stott's got it right. That's the last two Sundays from this text. If we're going to take Stott seriously, we have to focus on the mission. Get back to, as we say in football, just blocking, tackling, running the ball. Let's focus on gathering together, not only on Sunday, but in our community groups midweek so we can inspire, we can encourage, we can exhort, we can love and train and mobilize one another so we can be a greater lighthouse in this community and we can multiply and mature and make more disciples. We are persuaded, the leaders of this church, that is best done in what you have seen today and what we have talked about today. So I pray you're going to help us meet these two goals for the church as the Apostle Paul laid out, Christ-likeness and in discipleship. I'm going to pray that you're going to commit to being a greater part of that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I, I can't improve the words nor the prayers that we find in Scripture. I'm reminded of Paul's prayer to the church in Colossians chapter 1, as I pray that for all of us in this room, because we have not ceased praying for you, Lord. We are asking that our people in this room would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you strengthen us, Lord, with all power, according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, you, Lord. You've qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You've delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for that. For our people, may we be more Christ-like and be more committed to discipleship. And for anyone in this room and anyone listening, Lord God, that has not yet committed to being a disciple, period, that is not Christ-conscious, may this be the day they would be. May this be the day for someone, Lord, who is listening, is being stirred by the Holy Spirit in their heart to confess their sins, to repent, to want to turn away from an old, sinful, selfish lifestyle 
turn to you by trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus as the one that paid their sin debt, their penalty, as God in the flesh who suffered on that cross and was resurrected in order to pay the debt that they could not pay without offering their own lives forever. May someone turn to God and trust in Christ today, Lord, and make that known to us, Lord, so we can show them from the word how they know they can be in Christ. And then they can mature and multiply. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on our ministry, please visit our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. 